Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Feeling the Pulse with VB Rescue. We're having a lot of fun with this podcast so far, and for all the providers who have reached out to offer feedback, thank you for supporting this effort. I'm your host, as always, Ricky LeBlue, and I'm the Public Affairs Officer for Virginia Beach EMS. My co-host is, as always, Deputy Chief Joey Hundley. Chief, how are you today, man? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to be here um, on another fine, fine day. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're always fun for me to hang out with and pick on. So, uh, I'm, I'm ready to get at it. few people in the department provide as much fodder for chief Hudley's imagination as me, unfortunately, but today's <laughs> podcast is going to be a fun one because it'll bring back fond memories of this past summer, uh, when I was enjoying myself down in Sandbridge while working, uh, today's episode features JP Eberhardt, who is a former lifeguard. Uh, with VB Rescue and is a current full-time paramedic with us at VB Rescue. Yeah, so uh, so folks may not recognize, and and, uh, and we talk about this in the podcast with JP, uh, that the uh, Sandbridge Lifeguard Program, where the lifeguards in in uh, the Sandbridge community are uh, are over the Department of EMS oversees that program, and so um, JP's been with the department uh, for uh, like five or six years um or more at this point and uh was a lifeguard lieutenant down there uh that's where i first met jp uh down at, in sandbridge and uh you know it's just a just a great dude uh fun to be around i've had some interactions with him before uh as he was uh, uh looking you know ultimately wanted to get hired and work for the department as a paramedic and uh and so i, I look forward to talking to him today indeed chief he started in 2014 with the sandbridge lifeguards and as you mentioned transitioned to being a lifeguard lieutenant and is now transitioning as to a full-time paramedic and made that transition in August. He's a really down-to-earth guy, and he's really one of my favorite people in the system. If you're a member of VB Rescue, while you're listening to this episode, you need to go over to vems.com slash join, copy the link, send it to five or six of your closest friends, share it on social media, just spread the message. VB Rescue is always looking to add members to the system and Chief, you and I know this really well. Our current members are always and always will be our best recruiters. If you're not a VB Rescue member already, you need to head on over to vbems.com slash join to learn more about joining and also receiving free training to become an EMT with VB Rescue. When you're done with the episode, make sure you follow or subscribe to Filling the and get your friends and family to listen as well. Filling the Pulse can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Without further delay, let's get it started with Mr. J.P. Everhart. All right, filling the Pulse podcast. And this week, obviously, we have J.P. Everhart on. And, and I think the main question that I have to get out of the way right off the bat, J.P., because I paid the price for this this summer. What sunscreen is best to use down in Sandbridge when you're taking pictures all day? when you're taking pictures all day i would have to go with probably sunbum it's kind of like a surf surfer minded sunscreen it's real sticky it has a high zinc content so you can put it on your nose and all that good stuff it's mostly face they have spray stuff too but that would be the one i would do because i my my first trip down to Sandbridge, Chief, I don't know if you if you saw what I looked like afterwards, but 
Um, you look like in, that shirt you're wearing right now. <laughs> in a in a in a huge lapse in judgment, I did not put on sunscreen, and let's just say I was quite red. I can't figure out how a guy who lives has lived at the beach his entire life doesn't know how to wear clothes. That's an idea. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, trust JP, me, Chief. I know how to wear clothes, or else I wouldn't. I wouldn't have yeah. this job still. <laughs> lifeguards, JP. Lifeguards sit on the beach with long sleeve shirts on. Do they not? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I am one of the people who religiously would wear a long sleeve shirt with a hood attached. And because towards the end of my time in Sandridge, I mostly rode the single seater ATV, which had no roof, no nothing. You were uh, the way I like called it to some people, I was like, it's equivalent to riding a coaster on a skillet because the <laughs> ATV is really hot. It's like 200 degrees because it's a motor. And then, you know, how hot the sand gets and the sand's 120 degrees and you're just trying not to die. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely yeah. got hot out there at Sandbridge. And JP, let's, let's start right there because you obviously got a ton of experience down working with our lifeguard program in, in Sandbridge and um, you joined in 2014, and, and I've all, I'm always curious to get people's motivations, and Chief and I are in the same boat on this as to why they joined, but specifically, what made you want to be a lifeguard? Uh, specifically, I guess I was, uh, you know, in high school and early part of, you know, middle school and stuff like that, I was a competitive swimmer. And being a competitive swimmer, I'm always in the water going back and forth, and, you know, doing races and stuff like that. And the natural progression amongst my friend group and everybody else who kind of did that as their hobby or sport was, you know, you work lifeguarding in the summer. And a lot of people would do it at the pool at our local rec centers, but I, I'm i an outside person. I like to be outside. And uh, prior to 2014 and 2013 was either the first or second year that they did uh, the older lifeguard camp that went up to age 15 because you can get hired at age 16 and i did that for the summer and got introduced to the lifeguard program in sanbridge that was run by the department of ems at the time i didn't even know what the department of ems was i just knew there was lifeguards down here to be honest with you and yeah after i did that camp i was like oh this is really cool this would be a fun summer job to do and luckily the next that was my first time i was introduced to then captain cat watson and the rest is history so that following summer i came back as a hired lifeguard and i was hooked in that, i was hooked on that program and it was you know i was lucky enough to be able to part of it for nine years and it was it was great it's just like it's made me who i am so <laughs> so what about uh, what talk about the transition from um from lifeguarding to uh to ems yeah so um I was originally slated to go to college. I was accepted in the ODU and I did go uh, for three days. <laughs> I went to call, I went there and I was quickly figured out that, Hey, as of right now, this is not for me. And I came back down to, I came back home to Sandbridge and went upstairs in the office. And I was like, Hey, uh, what about all this EMP stuff? Like, this is pretty cool because I had some interactions on some 911 calls, but I basically was more of an observer because as a, as the time as a lifeguard, my job was to go out there and just grab the person and bring them in and the EMTs and paramedics and ambulances and all that stuff would come down and take care of them. But I was like, I kind of like, I want to be that guy. 
so I got pushed into the academy, uh, Academy 17. I was thrown in at the last minute. I actually had to go up to the office and be like, hey, uh, I was set up here <laughs> to do this EMT Academy thing. And the front office people were like, what? Who are you? Why are you here? And I actually, I was like, I'm a lifeguard. I have a 600 number. And they're like, oh, you're special. Because <laughs> they gave out 600 numbers to the lifeguards way back when. So I started off in the academy. It was taught by the one and only Karin Pettinger, who has now come out in the field with me. Kind of ironic. And after, you know, the academy started, I was like, this is this is cool. And I got put on an ambulance. The, uh, the old, my first shift was on the old 1621, which I know nobody in the career medic side, we were all happy to see that truck go. But I had a special place in my heart for that little, for that old ambulance. Cause that was the first truck I ever rode on. And I had a blast. I had an absolute, like, I was just like, this is the funnest thing I think I have done forever. I love running down the street, a hundred miles an hour. Maybe not 100 miles an hour. We all know we operate with due regard. But anyways, I like the whole, you know, you're sitting there one minute and then you're going 120 the next working in cardiac arrest or doing something like that. So the transition was very, I guess you can say natural for me because I had already been in the public safety introduction thing, seeing the radios go on and all sorts of stuff. I was like, I want to be the guy who holds the radio. So after I completed the EMT program and graduated with the academy, I joined the Sandbridge Rescue Squad down here, my home, basically my hometown, I guess you could say. And I was one of those rescue squirrels who ran like 12 duties a month. You couldn't get me off the ambulance. I think, I think one day, one month I put in, I would run Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an entire month. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> Yeah, those well, folks in Sandbridge were mad when you became a lifeguard lieutenant. So they weren't mad, but oh, they the were mad at us. Well, <laughs> in the in the in the beginning, it didn't matter because they didn't. We could still run while I was a lieutenant. There wasn't a thing for the first two years of my time as lieutenant. I could still volunteer on the ambulance. So there would be days where I would work all day on the beach. And then walk off the beach into the fire station, shower and change real quick, log on to the ambulance and go run uptown and then come back down and spend the night at the station and wake up the next morning, go eat some breakfast with the fire guys and go right back out on the beach. And that was that was two summers and me and uh, Patrick Kiley did that a lot. And we had a lot of fun doing it. We probably, you know, maybe violated one or two duty policies, but we had like a two, three hour break in there. It was fine. <laughs> But it, it was so so, then, so let's hold on hold, 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 let's let's make sure we're writing this down so in five minutes jp has admitted to driving 100 miles an hour down the street <laughs> and violating <laughs> duty policies in front of chief Huntley. yeah all i can do right now is shake my head like, <laughs> like, I, and uh, i'll backtrack a little bit here i think this is yeah. before chief Huntley was yeah, good luck. so <laughs> JP would oh, well. never do any of that stuff now, right? Nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah. 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 In fact, you're, I'm probably one of the slower ambulance drivers nowadays because it's just. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. So, um, so I guess we should clarify, right? We're talking about the Sandbridge Lifeguard Program today, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so JP, you were with that program for since 2014, right? That's when you came in. That yes. Yeah. And uh, 
so Virginia Beach EMS is responsible for the Sandbridge Lifeguard Program, not the um, oceanfront tourist area uh, mm -hmm. along Atlantic Avenue. Yes. Um, uh, you've been an integral part of that. So I'm just going to say for the record, I think I can take you in a pool. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was in uh, Captain Breen's office the other day chatting about marine medic stuff. So I think we can set up a time and place to have a swim test competition. Yeah. I mean, I'm um, down, right? That's my workout regiment's in the pool. I wasn't so, a swimmer, but I'm just going to say, right, I'm going to put my old um, fat ball <laughs> self um, against you, young man, and I'm going to take you. Okay. I'm just saying. Am I allowed to place bets on this? Because I'm betting JP whatever the whatever the odds are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. How much do we get? What's that? Yeah. How much of it do we get? A zero. Well, Absolutely none. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So BLS Academy 17, that's where you went. And so uh yep. Just for uh, for folks to understand, we're on 50, 54, 56. Um, I believe we just started 51 and 52, Chief. Did we? Yeah. I thought we were further along than that. Now i got to look that up. 53 and 54, I believe, are starting in um, early March, which, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not a member, you need to go ahead and sign up for those right now. Uh, so you can get a all lot of your prereqs done and, and you can get signed in. Um, one of the things I, that I really find interesting kind of going back to Sandbridge is the kind of the, the family atmosphere between the lifeguards. And I saw this mm -hmm. firsthand. And actually, I was with Chief Hunley at the time. Uh, him and I were both there. There was a kind of an impromptu unofficial lifeguard competition, and this is something that the lifeguards do every every season. And uh, watching the way that you guys interacted with one another during that, and watching how seriously you guys took it, it 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 really did feel like that all of the lifeguards down there. It's kind of similar to how it is, you know, in the field with our medics, is mm -hmm. that there is a really yeah. family atmosphere, and that you guys. Are, are really trying to help one another as much as possible. Yeah, it, it truly was a giant, you know, a big dysfunctional family. Like, we all loved each other. We all looked out for each other. We all made sure that, you know, if somebody was having a busy day, we would go over there and make sure that they were good. And then, you know, me as one of the leaders of the one of the lieutenants at the time, you know, my job was to kind of learn my people and, you know, learn their strong suits and help them build up those strong suits and identify some of their weaknesses, you know, work on those weaknesses. But just knowing your people, you can tell, like, hey, somebody, somebody might need some help, so let's go over there and help them out. But it was a big family, and we had that lifeguard competition every year, and Todd and Kate will put that together and really knock it out of the park last park last year that 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 uh lifeguard competition was actually my last day down there so it was kind of bittersweet and it was you know it, it is it is a big family it absolutely was and it translates perfectly into the field now where i'm at because it's the same atmosphere we all look out for each other we all knew each I, other too i was down there watching you guys do that thing last year and uh um man there are some beasts <laughs> some absolute beasts that are that are uh that were were doing that that's yeah. stuff 
JP, yeah, what, is, line what is, is some of the, the, the toughest physical training that you guys have had to do as a part of the lifeguard program? Because every single lifeguard down there is in incredible shape, and that doesn't mm-hmm. just happen by accident. No. Uh, we used to do this, and we've kind of stepped back from it because uh, of the water temperature, but we used to do a run-swim-run, and that had to be completed in the – I forgot how long the time was, but – it was a five, I can't remember the distances. I don't want to say the wrong stuff, but you would have to, it was a run and you would have to swim out in this buoy and you have to swim back in and you'd have to run again. And you had to do it in a certain time period. And we would run that in early, early May for the lifeguard, you know, it was the pre-tra- it was the preseason training and it was cold and it was hard and we and it some of those days we ran it on some big on some big surf and it was one of the hardest conditions i've ever had to swim in and then i would say one of the other things that makes us in such great shape is you know we drill constantly every morning there's a good physical fitness drill but even before that a lot of you would find a bunch of us at the firehouse before muster working out in the working out in the bay or in the gym or whatever and we were very gracious that the firefighters in company 17 were very uh allowing and welcoming of us to come in there early in the morning and use equipment and stuff like that so i think those are the two big reasons why everybody was in such good shape and maybe the amount of bangs that were drank down there (laughs) i believe i believe chief watson had something to do with that yeah, that we feel we we actually had a specific uh, recycling bin that was for energy drinks only, <laughs> and I think that thing got filled in a matter of hours. <laughs> All right. I'm not a big uh, I'm not a big energy drink guy, but I know that Chief Watson, who obviously used to be down there in Sandbridge, running the lifeguard mm-hmm. program, and is back now running our our lifeguard program. Yep. Uh, she is a big fan of Bang energy drinks. And um, yep. <laughs> not not really my cup of tea, but I can imagine seeing that there are going to be a lot down in Sandbridge this summer. Oh, I'm sure she orders some things by the case. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, JP, you spent a lot of time around around Chief Watson and and, and other people down there in Sandbridge. Who were some of the folks that you kind of looked up to when you were growing into your own skill set as as someone who could serve in in a lifeguard setting and eventually an ems setting who were some of the folks that you tried to model yourself after i definitely have been trying to model i guess my two biggest role models in that program were uh chief watson and uh barry kirshner who were those two were basically the program matriarchs and barry's been there since forever and cat obviously came in at the beginning as well and you know the way the leadership style that cat and barry had together where you know, we fostered that family atmosphere, but she was also the over people. And that's very important. You, you know, she looked at us as her extended family and same with Barry. And they were the mom and dad of the group and they were great providers and they were great leaders and extra for muster they weren't even scheduled that day but they would come in and be like hey i'm here does anybody want to go home so i can work because i want to be here today even though it's my day off it was a very unique situation and you know having those two particularly as my mentors and there's a whole bunch of other people that i looked up to 
but those were the two main ones because they were the medics. And I remember one of the first big 911 calls that ever went on, here comes Cat and Barry, and they are the ones that everybody looked at and said, what do we do? And they just riled it off, and they took care of the patient, and I was like, oh, I want to be like them. <laughs> I want to be that person who comes into the scene and that everybody goes, that's what they know what they're doing and be a part of it and slowly becoming that, I think. So JP, you, um, I mean, you did a lot of time down in Sandbridge as a lifeguard. What, what kept you going back? Did, did I hear you say that you live in Sandbridge? Yeah, I still, I, I grew up down here and I actually still do live down here. Um, I have a great situation here at home and, but what kept me coming back, I guess, was that, you know, you know fear of, you know, you got to work with your friends. You got to work with people that, you know, you knew and loved and wanted to be with. And I mean, come on, it's a job of towards the end of my time there. I was a lieutenant. I got to ride around on a four wheeler on the beach all day. I mean, what, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> it was mostly just the family atmosphere that was created down there. And, you know, just having the time of your life riding around on the beach every day. Like I got paid to ride around. The, you know, I got I, I paid mean, to ride amazing, around on an ATV and look at girls in bikinis. <laughs> that's what I heard you say. No, no. It goes right back to uh, Ricky. Which one was it, Thomas? That yeah, yeah, Thomas. I actually believe it with Thomas, but I, I know a little bit about JP and um, I have a feeling that was not a, a motivation whatsoever, uh, given given JP's current situation. I was getting ready to say, what can we say that will get him in trouble with his fiance right now? It is fiance, not right? My fiance, yeah. No, not oh, quite, but... Um, I thought that was totally... Me and Julia totally have been together for... Me and Julia have been together for over a year and a half, so things are trending well. I'll just say that. <laughs> Maybe big things. That's, that, that's come, exactly uh, what we summer. like to hear. <laughs> Maybe big things coming. We'll see. I can't. I can't divulge too much. <laughs> I don't know if she so listens JP, to this, but I, I, she probably will. <laughs> of course, she'll listen to it, right? Because because uh, now we've given her a reason. So um, yeah. so tell me about tell me about your time. Uh, tell me about your time on uh, with uh, with Sandbridge as a, as a volunteer. Um, so, how many years were you with them uh, as a volunteer EMT? I was with them for about five and a half to six years. I think it was somewhere in there, and it was you know my local rescue squad. I lived three miles down the road, so I you know I was there all the time hanging with the fire guys. And one of the biggest things that I will say about Sandbridge and the station itself is that it again embodies that family atmosphere that we had the lifeguard program, but except this time it was the relationship between the EMS department and the rescue squad, the fire, the fire department that was down there, the police officers that also were coming in and out and the lifeguards. And we just had, we had a great thing going and there's still, it still is like that. It's, I heard I heard uh, one of the chiefs say not that long ago that Sandbridge was the model for how every fire department and rescue squad and PD should be, how we all work together, we all ate together. But as far as my role in the rescue squad, uh, I was just an avid volunteer who was one of those people who pick up extra ambulance duties because he lived right down the road. And 
I did a lot of their fleet management for when I, my time was there. So a little backstory on that. My dad works for a car dealership, so I'm very much up to snuff with like vehicles and understood, you know, maintenance things and all that stuff like that. So that was kind of a natural progression for me. So I helped with the construction of ambulances 1723 and the new 1721, which was just put in the service, I think a month ago. And yeah, that was kind of my main things that I did while I was there. And I, used, I had a very consistent partner, uh, Kyle Vince. We mostly ran nights and some 24s every so often. And we just had, I mean, I, I had the best time ever when I was there. JP, you you spent so much time down there, and then you you worked at one of our our neighbors in Dare County. And I'm curious as to mm-hmm. the experiences that you got as a lifeguard and the experiences you you had in Dare County. What skills did you learn? What experiences did you have that prepared you for what you're doing now, which is being a paramedic with Phoebe Rescue? Yeah, so I think the experiences that I gained from the lifeguarding is I learned a big part of how to like mentor people, be a leader and be a teacher. And as the career medic here with uh, the department of that, a lot of times is our role. You know, we are there to empower the BLS provider and also, you know, help them grow in their career as the career medics did for me when I was a young BLS provider, just getting cut loose in the system. So I think that was the main thing that came out of the lifeguard program was just how to be a leader and a mentor. And then when I uh, went down to Dare County for two years, I think that's where I started honing my skills as a patient care provider because down there we only had the one hospital, the Outer Banks Hospital in Axhead, which is a great facility with great staff. But at the end of the day, they're still just a critical access hospital. They don't have a cath lab. They don't have a stroke center. I mean, they have a CT scanner, but, like, they can't really treat a whole lot there. So a lot of times we would bring a patient in, and then within an hour and a half to two hours, we would be taking that same patient out. We would be driving that patient on the long haul. We call it, we call them long hauls is what we call them for shorthand, but it was, it was interfacility transport. And we would drive them from, you know, the Nagsad hospital all the way out to Greenville, North Carolina, or up here to one of our Sentara facilities. And then on, a, on the flip side of that, that county is a hundred something miles from end to end. And if you're working uh, station three, which is all the way down in Buxton, North Carolina. It is about on a summer day, about an hour, 15 minutes from the hospital, even if you're going lights and sirens. So you really learned how to do medicine and get to the bottom of these protocols. And when you got to the bottom of these protocols and you had to critically think, you're like, okay, now what am I going to do? And it was a really great opportunity. And I enjoyed my time down there. The people are great. Chief Collins was an awesome person to work for but I really got the chance to learn how I was going to be as a medic. And it was an invaluable experience while I was down there. That's awesome. And I feel like chief, a lot of our, our medics have that same experience because so many of our, our paramedics not only come from working in our, our, our system, but like we were talking to Taylor in our last episode, they come from systems around the area and, and they can take those skills and, and and use them in working with VB Rescue, which is such a, a unique system, mm-hmm. uh, especially given the mm-hmm. call volume. Yeah. If you want experience right now, we got plenty of experience to go around. <laughs> that is for sure. 
Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know what the call volume was like in their county compared to what it is here. Um, but I know we Nothing were upward compared to here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, but you're not wrong, right? I mean, the sheer distance and transports and uh, and how you have to think about the medicine. Um, mm -hmm. More so than just thinking about it from a 911 perspective and that my job to the hospital and somebody else will figure it out from there. Whereas, uh, you know, I had a guy tell me one time. Uh, that the difference between uh, a 911 paramedic and, um, you know, like commercial ambulance services or, or some other, uh, you know, agencies like a Dare County type agency is, um, you know, most 911 medics are only thinking about um, the first 30 or 45 minutes of their interaction and then just got to get them to the hospital where, you know, you're truly yeah. thinking about what I do now is going to impact what I have to come back and pick up and transport to another facility. Mm -hmm after they're stabilized in the ER. So um, it certainly yeah. makes you think different on your medicine. And, and uh, look, mm -hmm. I will gladly take those providers all day long in our system because I believe wholeheartedly critical thinking skills um, is one of the most important things that we can do from, a, from an, uh, an EMS provider perspective, regardless of the level that you're at. Yeah, um, and yeah so, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it's awesome that you have that experience. And like I said, it was one of the, like, the, the agency down there is fantastic. I would recommend it to anybody, especially a newer medic who's getting ready to graduate from school. And that, you know, they, it just, it teaches you how to think and how to approach these problems because there's such a wide variety of calls that we would have down there and it's the severities and, and the fact that, you know, you get both. One of the main reasons I actually went down there originally is because you got both sides. You got in the facility transport experience with IV pumps and ventilators and intubated patients and all that stuff, but you also still ran the 911 calls. And it's, that's right. a very, there's not a lot of EMS systems that do that relatively close to us. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. So JP, you've been a paramedic with VB Rescue now for about what, six, seven months or so. What's been, yeah. the, the, what, what's been the most eye-opening experience that you've had so far? For me, being a career a rescue, being a career medic now, I think the biggest experience I have is just, you know, being that guy that's now the leader on the call. Where versus when I worked in Dare, you know, we always had like a lieutenant who would came who would come with us, or somebody else who could kind of be the leader, take command of situations. But in a lot of times here, you know, we are the only ALS provider on the scene in some of these critical calls and you're the one who has to make the decisions and say this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and everybody else is going to follow you because when you put on that career paramedic shirt you know the volunteers really look up to you as like you're the one who is here to make sure that everything goes smoothly you're the one who's here to make sure that you're watching over everybody and make sure everybody's safe and stepping into that role was honestly more difficult than i thought it was going to be and I'm still struggling with it, as I, as I think everybody will has and will at some point. But that, I'd say that would be the biggest thing that I've had to overcome stepping into my new role here. Chief, what was your experience when you obviously were, were a life member at 16, still are a life member? And now that you are the deputy chief of the department, I mean, have you encountered any similar experiences where uh, when you were a, a volunteer on the street 
as opposed to now that when you show up at a scene? Well, uh, I think my differences are um, in an entirely different arena. Um, meaning, uh, you know, before you always wonder what's going on behind the curtain. Uh, and now I'm the guy behind the curtain and people are wondering <laughs> what's that guy doing behind the curtain. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I like to think that, um, that ideally our teams are coherent enough, not coherent, cohesive enough, uh, from the volunteer and the career component and our, and our, our, uh, uh, our um, our providers in the in the fire department, you know that um, uh, that you really don't see a huge difference when you make a transition from uh, a volunteer uh, to a career provider. Now, in JP's case, JP was not a paramedic in our system; he was an EMT in our system, and so I can certainly see where making a change from a volunteer EMT and then coming in as a career paramedic where um, the expectations are, are, um, are not only different because you're, you're a, um, uh, an EMT, you're a paramedic now versus an EMT, but uh, I mean, it's no surprise, you know, when you, when you do this job for a living, you, you're going to get more calls, you're going to get more experience, you're going to have more situations. Uh, where you have to make tough decisions in your your skills are gonna are gonna improve and so um, we certainly naturally expect career providers to step into a leadership role um, sooner um, because of of all of that um, you know and and from my perspective and JP hit on it earlier with the critical thinking component uh, you know that's um, what I look for more so uh, than anything else is that. I, I expect from a career perspective that you're uh, not that I don't expect it from a volunteer perspective, but from the career side where you're in this day in and day out, uh, that your critical thinking skills go way up. And so you see calls from a different perspective, so to speak, uh, than um, uh, other folks do, even our fire department folks, because um, uh, you're just exposed to more things more times, uh, and uh, and ideally it makes you a better provider. Um, but it is different, uh, uh, you know. As much as we want it to not be different, there are just different things about it when you make a transition from from um, mm -hmm. the volunteer to the career side, or you know, in JP's case, where you came in from a system uh, whose call volume is not 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 fifty two thousand calls a year. Uh, and, um, uh, and so you're running a lot of stuff and you're seeing a lot of things and, uh, and, and you're doing a lot of skills, a lot of different skills. Uh, and so it can be very challenging and it can be daunting for some folks, but, um, you know, rest assured, I mean, but the reality for us, right, is we, we've made the decision in the department that, um, um, when you, when we hire you as a, as a, as a, as a paramedic. Um, you're going to spend your first year riding an ambulance and we're a tiered response system, uh, but you're going to spend your first year riding an ambulance because um, uh, the, uh, the, the person that you're sitting in the ambulance with, ideally a volunteer, um, 
is probably going to be better at teaching you the uh, the area. It's going to be better at teaching you about the ambulance and teaching you how to use the MDT and and all of those things that, um, uh, especially if you're coming from the outside, that you just don't know. Uh, and it creates a good a good team concept and and uh, um, continues down the path that we want to go down. Uh, you know, really from a teamwork uh, cohesive piece. And to hit on a little and bit more, Chief, of what you said, it also provides, you know, the opportunity for that new career member who did come in from the outside to learn the 10 individual rescue squads and learn their traditions and see how they do things and see the people that flock to those rescue squads and then just maybe learn how the units are laid out because all our units are laid out just a little bit differently. It's a great challenge and it's a, doing that year on the ambulance is a great way to make sure that, hey, when you're finally released to you know ride the zone car and you're going to that critical call on an ambulance that's with the Prozla Rescue Squad, you're going to know where almost everything is on that truck versus if you were going to ride it with a Kempsville or a Sandridge truck. You know, you got to have that rapport built up with that rescue squad and understand their equipment. And you're not going to get that from just coming in off the street and getting on a, getting on a zone car. That that was something I because I, I remember when I first got to the department and they told me that the new medics always ride on the truck for a year and that was one of the things that didn't really hit me until later on was the fact that yeah there are, there are so many things that you learn from riding with a volunteer in their ambulance mm-hmm. that is just critical knowledge moving forward in terms of like you said chief and, and JP where equipment is the the area of the city i mean i admittedly don't know the the northwest part of the city all that well because i'm not from that part of the area um i'm i'm a lot closer to where jp is right down in the 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 south southeastern part of the of of the city and um so if i were to be a, a a medic with the city and i had a call up on northampton boulevard i'm not gonna know really where i'm going sad 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 (laughs) I'm still learning that section of the city too. <laughs> Guys, I'll tell you what. See, JP, you JP, you should just let me hop on the grenade on that one, and I'll take the hit. <laughs> I'll tell I you what. Not if you're all around the city, get on a car. <laughs> I will tell you that every every ride along I go to, I learn a bit more, and I definitely learned a lot um, riding on my last ride along, which was on the uh the zone car from station nine which is in the kempsville area which mm-hmm. again is not an area i'm all that familiar with um so but obviously i am biased and i would like to ride on the zone 21 car because zone station 21 <laughs> is about five minutes from my house well it's actually like 15 <laughs> minutes with all the stoplights yeah you're not kidding yeah. they added that one <laughs> they added that one over here that has just made it a, an absolute nightmare um but these are things that you don't uh, Nemo. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And see, these are things that you don't deal with in Sandbridge. Right. And JP lives down there. And, um, I don't know what your favorite part about Sandbridge is JP, but my personal favorite is that it feels the most like a hometown, a small town of any place in Hampton roads. I a hundred percent agree with that. There very much is a, 
hometown atmosphere. We also have a little bit of tendency to govern ourselves. We have our civic league down here that takes care of a lot of the things through city council, but it's very much that small town, hometown feel. And I honestly think that, you know, this is one of the areas in the city where if a call drops down here, a vol there's multiple volunteers for the Sambridge Rescue Squad that live in Sambridge. And if it's a, like a super acute call, they will drop what they're doing and go grab a truck. And I, I mean, you, you'll see, you still see that in other parts of the city, but down here you really see it. It's, it's very cool to still see that atmosphere. That, the way that that functions is still really cool to see. And I think, too, that the, the rescue squad plays such a critical role in the community. I mean, at, at the Pig Picking event this summer, I mean, it was, it was astronomical how many people were there. And most of them mm-hmm. are people from the Sandbridge area, and they're there to support the rescue squad. And um, mm-hmm. I, I was talking to some of the people organizing the event afterwards, and they were like, oh, yeah, we usually have a few more people than this. And it was already packed out, right? Like it was just wall to wall. And it's um, it, it's just fun to see a, a, an area of the community, and this is throughout the city, um, where you have – these rescue squads that play such a critical role in the things that go on around the state or around the area. Absolutely. And they do a really good job down there. I mean, you've got what the market, so it's their own little uh, mom and pop type uh, grocery store with a deli and a, uh, uh, you know, uh, some ice cream and stuff that's in there. And, uh, and then, you know, I think what's the zero sub that's right there. Uh, and then ben and Jerry's, yeah, you know, a couple little things, but that's those are there year round, right? I mean, at least the other shops are shut down outside of the season, but um, it very much is um, is its own little community there uh, that is um, an oceanfront resort area without being touristy, you know. Um, yes, and that's that's pretty awesome. It's, um, it's, it's, I mean, there's a golf course not far away from, you know, from the island there and, uh, and it's, it's pretty cool. So, so JP, um, give us your recruiting piece to get, uh, to, to make this, uh, why would someone want to come be part of BB rescue? I think if, for somebody who wants to be a part of BB Rescue, you got to be somebody who wants the, you know, the experience or, you know, wants to experience the, what it's like to be in a 911 emergency agency because we're always going, like you said, Chief, we're, we ran over 50,000 calls last year, which is crazy numbers compared to where we were prior to the pandemic. But we are a busy agency. And if you want to see if this is what, if EMS or healthcare or a fire department or, you know, any sort of public safety job, VB Rescue is the, a great first step to, into a public safety environment. Because if you want some experience, got it, and we got plenty of it for you, you will run wide, wide varieties of calls. Anything from like a simple BLS call to one of our local nursing facilities to a super acute high acuity trauma up on the interstate or high acuity traumas down in the county where you might be coordinating a helicopter. So if you want experience or you want to see, if, you know, public a public safety job is for you, 
I think that this department and VB Rescue and one of our 10 volunteer rescue squads is a first step for you. And you could also start out kind of in your home area. Like I started out in public safety in my hometown or my home area of the city. So like if you grew up in Kempsville, you can join the Kempsville Rescue Squad. You grew up in Courthouse, you grew up, you can join the Courthouse Rescue Squad. You grew up in the oceanfront, you got Virginia Beach. If you want to see if public safety is for you, this is the agency that you need to be a part of. Chief, that was a pretty good speech to me, I think. Yeah, I mean, you couple that with the uh, the continual family like atmosphere or the you know the family um, um, feel with within the rescue squads and even you know there's uh, JP talked about the lifeguard stuff uh, and and I mean I've seen that firsthand from you guys you know you're not kidding on on people are tight um, uh, yeah mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a, that's a good uh, that's a good uh, recruitment ad. Anything else you want to add, Chief, before we wrap this up? No, JP, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, man. Uh, I'm excited we hired John uh, to be a career medic. Uh, I'm sorry they're going to lose you at the, at the ocean, at the, uh, in Sandbridge as a lifeguard, but uh, uh, hopefully you did your due diligence at training your reliefs down there. I sure hope I did. There's a lot of really good uh, <laughs> up-and-coming people. I've watched, I very much, I'll end with this, I very much watched that program be cyclical and like, you know, as the people who are older start to step away, they've already started training up the next batch. There's a couple, of, you know, there's a, one particular uh, member of the rescue squad now who runs his butt off just like I did, and he's coming back as a lieutenant this year, I believe. And it's really cool to just see how these people that you've mentored accomplish the same goals as you did. Well, that's that's awesome. And and also, if you're interested in being a lifeguard down in Sandbridge, you can apply on the virginiabeach.gov website on the careers tab. If you want the official uh, direct link, DM the Facebook or Instagram account, and I will send it to you. But JP, thanks for coming on again. You've been uh, a really good guy to be around for me. I had a lot of fun interacting with you down in Sandbridge and uh, was really happy when you got hired in um, in just and you're doing great things out there. I'm really glad uh, that you're with us, and um, I can't wait to come out and, and see you in the street. I appreciate you, Ricky. I appreciate you saying that, Ricky. You're always welcome on an ambulance with me. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thanks, ma'am. All right, thank you all. I appreciate it, Chief. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you for listening to Feeling the Pulse with J.P. Everhart, paramedic with VB Rescue. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow or subscribe to the Feeling the Pulse podcast and leave us a five-star review. Also, if you're interested in learning more about VB Rescue, visit vbems.com slash join. Again, that's vbems.com slash join. Thank you for listening.